Welcome to the Three Lines of Defence podcast, the show that provides in-depth discussion into the world of audit, compliance and risk. We bring valuable insights, market information and career advice from industry leaders. Here's your host, Mark Enticott. On today's show, we have Nick Key, who is the Global Head of Institutional Securities Compliance at Morgan Stanley. Nick is originally from Australia and commenced his career as a solicitor with Freehills in Perth. Nick moved to Sydney, where he worked for a number of firms, including Blake Dawson and Sydney Futures Exchange. In 2001, Nick joined Macquarie and became Head of Compliance for this securities group. In 2011, Nick moved to Morgan Stanley and became Asia Chief Compliance Officer based in Hong Kong. In 2019, Nick moved to New York with Morgan Stanley in his current role. Nick, welcome to the show. Mark, thank you very much for the invitation. Um, Look forward to having a chat. So I'd like to start with a little bit about your early life and where you grew up. Sure. So, you know, we're we're immigrants, uh, children of immigrants. Uh, My parents and and myself and my sister, we were born in Malaysia. Um, And, you know, like, uh, you know, many people, you know, uh, being Chinese, uh, ethnic Chinese, we did, uh, you know, my parents were certainly looking for opportunities for us, uh, you know, in terms of our education and the like. And, and my dad actually uh, studied accounting in, in Australia, in Perth. And that's eventually where we moved to in 1975. Um, as you know, that was a period just after the White Australia policy was lifted. Uh, so we did we did get there to Australia. And uh, like many Malaysian Chinese, we, we ended up in Perth because it's a very... Uh, short trip, I guess, between uh, Malaysia and, and, and Perth relative to Sydney. Um, so I grew up in Perth and it was it was great growing up in, you know, the 70s and the 80s and uh, times are a little bit different than they are now. So you've worked in a range of different roles throughout your career and obviously you started your uh, career off as a lawyer. Um, what made you develop your career within banking financial services and more specifically within compliance? Yeah. Well, look, you know, I think being a, being a lawyer and, and if you work, uh, you know, in private practice, like I did with Freehills and, and, and what's now Ashurst, um, you know, there's a path that, that, you know, your career takes, moving to associate, senior associate uh, and partner. Um, and I, I definitely enjoyed the challenges uh, and the opportunities that I, that I got with those firms. I, I think, you know, I, I moved to a a couple of in-house roles, um, including for clients of these firms, uh, and Austraclear was actually one uh, which got taken over by the Sydney Futures Exchange um, in in 2000. You know, it it having an in-house role as a lawyer, you know, gives you advantages in terms of your your time, you know, how you want to spend it. It's it's, just, it's also a little bit different. You're not having to worry about timesheets and you know billable hours and the like. And and honestly. You know, I'm I'm more of a back office guy. I've got a face for radio. I think it's it's I didn't quite enjoy as much the the networking, you know, part of the 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 uh, you know the, the the cycle that you would have to, to be on in order to to make partner. But I did enjoy enjoy things, and, and I got the opportunity uh, to work for Australia, which is uh, was uh, still it is, but it's uh, under a different umbrella now. Uh, working for, for Austraclear, uh, and that was a client of, of Blake Dawson. And, you know, uh, it, it was a lot of fun. It was a clearinghouse for uh, 
money market securities and uh, and then uh, had a registry, electronic registry for medium-term notes and the like. And it was effectively uh, a uh, industry-led uh, uh, body. So it had, you know, some of the big banks like Commonwealth Bank, ANZ, Westpac, uh, all of those banks uh, that were actually the shareholders of, of that company. And uh, so that's how I got into into financial services at uh, at Austraclear. And then what made you develop your career then into Macquarie and obviously you moved to Hong Kong and now New York? What, what was the drivers behind those? Moves? Yeah, you know, moving to Macquarie, it, it, was a, it was a decision to sort of leave the Sydney Futures Exchange uh, for me, just a personal decision from a career perspective. And I, I was looking at, you know, uh, had a couple of different roles. One was a, a pure legal role, um, you know, for actually an online broker, uh, which is funny because obviously um, Morgan Stanley's just about to acquire E-Trade. But, um, you know, there, there was that. And then there was the Macquarie job, which was to join the central compliance function. Uh, and frankly, it was very small at the time. Um, you know, we, we can sort of count uh, fingers and toes in terms of the Sydney office before it, it got built out a lot more over the, the next decade, uh, I guess, like a lot of um, compliance functions. Um, and it, it honestly took me a long time, you know, tussling in my own mind, you know, whether I was willing to make the jump to compliance. And, and you know, at that time, I'd argue that compliance maybe wasn't as well regarded or well known as as a as a profession, right? In the way that we would think about it, if you were a doctor or a lawyer. Um, and so, it, in my own mind, I had to make that jump to into a role that was was something that I wasn't really used to or had uh, had much of an understanding of. Um, but I, I I did in the end uh, take that role. To be fair, I didn't uh, I didn't get an offer from the other place. Um, but, you know, I think it was fantastic. Macquarie, even then, was a very good name, remains a good name now. Um, you know, and, and I was in a central compliance function, but at that time, responsible for board reporting, uh, particularly bringing together for the board audit committee, you know, the um, the different international offices, uh, the you know, the, the kind of uh, management information and reporting that you would you would want to, to take up to the board level. So... It was a. Uh, it was still making good use of some of my background as a lawyer, um, and I, I really enjoyed my uh, uh, my time there, uh, starting in in September uh, two thousand uh, two thousand and one. Actually, that the week I had off uh, in between jobs was um, was uh, when September eleven happened, which obviously uh, the tragic event that that was. Uh, so it was a bit of a surreal entree, uh, frankly, into financial services, but we've obviously, as you're aware, have had a few uh, uh, significant uh, events happening in the, in the, in the, the decades, uh, decades since. And then subsequently, you, you went to Morgan Stanley um, and you were Asia head for uh, compliance, and then you have obviously now moved to New York. How have you found that transition from Hong Kong to New York? Well, look, I've really enjoyed it. Um, the the challenge of, of a global role, you know, being taken out from a regional role to a global role, um, you know, has been fantastic. It's a great opportunity personally. Um, my family, uh, my older daughter, I have two daughters. My older one was already studying here. So uh, in, she started in 2018. So 
the opportunity to have the family together for at least a little while longer, because obviously kids move on in their lives, um, was a, a big selling point for my, my wife in particular, who uh, had to give up her job um, at the University of Hong Kong. And, um, you know, but it's the opportunity, the people are, are great. Um, I don't just mean the people at work, but, you know, frankly, by and large, all the New Yorkers we've, we've met, you know, um, have, been, have been fantastic. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's obviously been, been a difficult time uh, for a lot of people, um, you know, over the last, uh, last five, six months in particular. Um, you know, but we're, we're all making, you know, the best of, of, of a, a bad situation. Uh, and, you know, we'll, I guess, be talking about that uh, a little bit later. But New York itself is great. Um, I took my first holiday with my family since we, um, since we, uh, since Christmas, uh, when we did a quick trip back to Hong Kong, uh, in Australia. Um, and we just went upstate New York. Um, my wife can, can drive and, you know, uh, we took a train and, and drove around, uh, and, you know, been, was lakeside, uh, and then, you know, just did some, some, uh, some treks. It was really nice to spend time with the family and just get away from, I guess, the desk and, you know, uh, looking at the same scenery that you, you do when you're, um, working from home. And, and like we do, we live in an apartment in the city. So, you know, uh, it's really just a change of scenery from away from looking from apartment blocks and the like has been, uh, been uh, very good mentally uh, for us. Has there been a particular key mentor in your career? And if so, how have they helped develop your career and leadership style? Yeah, well, you know, that's, that's a good question, Mark. I think different people have, have different people who help them out at, all stages of their lives, both, as you point out, personally, as well as from a career perspective. Um, in my very early years, when I was still in Perth, um, uh, I had a, 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 a mentor, uh, Simon Lee, and he was a, a Perth, uh, he, a Perth businessman. And, you know, he helped guide me. Uh, and in fact, in, you know, when I went, my first in-house job was to work at one of his companies. Uh, and it was, it was just interesting, you know, and then as you get older and, and further along, you realize there are a lot of these sort of people who have seen the world, they've experienced it, they've been successful in their own lives and careers, um, and they have a lot of good advice to give. And, you know, one of the certainly the lessons learned is, is you know, um, uh, especially when, you know, not just because you're Asian and, and we tend to, to be a bit more deferential to authority, um, but just knowing that there are, are people there who, who can really give you good advice is an important thing. And I, I think one of the funny things uh, that at the time was we, we my, you know, my wife and I were thinking before we moved to Sydney in 96, maybe we'd move to Hong Kong um, or Singapore. And, at, you know, we were talking about that or I was talking about that with him. And he suggested, he said, look, we, we might be on, you know, the brink of, um, what turned out to be the Asian financial crisis uh, at the time, obviously we didn't know that, but he was saying probably not a good time, you know, to go right up the way, go up there at the moment, stick, stick closer to home. Um, and honestly, that was uh, very prescient advice given the timing because um, Australia was, as you're aware, largely unscathed and has been, you know, their financial services industry has obviously withstood a lot. Um, and so, 
you know, that and, and just the advice that he gave, you know, for me in my formative years uh, was fantastic. You know, I haven't really had a mentor since then, somebody that I, uh, you know, I, I, I think I would, the closest thing to that would be my wife right now. She's always very, very free with her advice. Um, whether, and obviously it can be very hard to hear sometimes. But what I would say is, therefore, it's, it's really important, I think, for uh, particularly younger people, especially if there's no formal program within the company they work for, um, uh, or you know, if they're not yet employed but they're, they're studying, you know, to actually maybe seek somebody out that they know, a family friend at the time or something like that, you know, to get this sage advice that doesn't come from a family member, so a little bit more uh, independent uh, or objective. Uh, and, you know, within work, I think, you know, having mentors and sponsors, obviously they're different, but, you know, different people, I think, can, can certainly benefit from that. But what I'll say to you is that I've had a series, by and large, not exclusively, but by and large, had a series of very good managers. and they've been the ones at the time that they've been managing me um, that have helped my career. They've given me the advice, you know, uh, I'll call out Dominic Hirons, who's now the CCO at uh, Citigroup in EMEA. You know, when he hired me into Morgan Stanley, you know, really knew his way around and, and made sure that I, I met the, the people that I needed to meet to enhance the, you know, the network that would help, you know, form the base of, uh, you know, knowing how things work, but also the people and getting to know them better and, and the base of how you're, you're going to be an advisory compliance person, right? Um, which is what I became uh, when I when I joined uh, Morgan Stanley, sorry, when I joined Macquarie in um, in Hong Kong uh, to be the, the securities head at the time. So, you know, I, I think different people will, will have different... Uh, mentors and, and supporters, but I think, and this gets back to a really important point, to further your career, you really need to have good managers because I think non-supported managers, um, you know, often lead to obviously people leaving, but also being otherwise being very dissatisfied even if they don't get that opportunity to just move, move across the road. So um, it's a range of people that have helped me through, but I, I'm telling you all of those people that I've mentioned, uh, including the wife, uh, you know, have, have been instrumental in developing my career. Has there been a significant turning point in your career that has resulted in where you are today? Yeah, look, I, I think there's been a few. And, you know, going back to the, the you know, a bunch of things. But I have to say, um, you know, uh, there's, there's always, almost always somebody helping you out in, in, your, in your life. Um, and, you know, my, my wife, uh, I met her in 1995, um, and uh, obviously not my wife at the time, but I met her in 1995, and she has been, honestly, the biggest support for, um, for my career because she has moved to Sydney, she moved to Hong Kong, she's moved to New York, she's changed her career a couple of times, not just for me, but for her and, and, and you know, to help bring up the kids. Um, and so, honestly, for me, she's a turning point in my life, um, both obviously from a, a personal perspective as well as, um, you know, how she's helped me um, navigate uh, the trials and tribulations of being a, a compliance officer um, 
in financial services. Um, but we, we wanted to go to Sydney, uh, you know, to the point that I made that, that Simon said stick closer to home. And um, we, we decided we wanted to, to have a change. I think a lot of people, you know, in Sydney, a lot of the people that were out became our friends were from Adelaide or from Brisbane, you know, or the surrounds. Um, actually, I think we had far fewer Sydney friends or Melbourne friends. Um, you know, although we, 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 my wife did, did know quite a lot of people in Melbourne. So, you know, moving to Sydney, the big stick, um, the big smoke, sorry, you know, it's, uh, that, that was a big turning point for us. And, and I, it, it was, it was kind of funny because I had a friend from, Perth, from law school uh, who was coming back from Sydney, uh, who worked with Blake Dawson. And, you know, he, he actually just said to me, you know, well, I'm leaving, I'm coming back to Perth. You know, are you interested potentially in going over? And you know, I, I had the interviews, and you know, that's that's what happened. We we moved. So I, I think it was sort of meant to be, and um, you know, I, I think that again worked out worked out really well. Um, I think you know, moving to financial services, we talked about that, um, and you know, ending up working for one of Blake Dawson's clients, Austraclear, you know, goes to the point that if you're you know, you're doing some good work, you know, other people get to see you and, and, and uh, you do get sometimes that, those opportunities uh, to, to move on. Um, but I think, you know, the big turning point for me was in 2004, um, my boss at the time, Nick Minogue, uh, head of risk management compliance at Macquarie, literally came up to my desk and said, uh, um, we're going to make this acquisition in, uh, based in Hong Kong. We need you to fly up there tonight. Um, and uh, and start the due diligence uh, because of my background as a lawyer, um, I ran the the due diligence process uh, for the firm uh, and certainly for risk management. But at the time, that was inclusive of, of legal um, to to make that acquisition. Uh, and um, you know, uh, we had Baker McKenzie work on that transaction with us. Uh, so fifteen countries globally. You know, 500 people or so. It was um, the ING Cash Equities business. So they were coming out at a time we were thinking that we wanted to go in, um, and and so that was very interesting timing. And actually, um, we Macquarie, uh, you know, benefited from a, a very good run uh, after that. Um, but you know, we we did the due diligence, and and it was an exhausting but very re- rewarding process. Apart from the fact that you know I got a promotion out of it, but you know, they weren't necessarily looking at me moving to Hong Kong. They actually had me pegged, and I'd spent seven seven weeks, two months in uh, Christmas around Christmas uh, Thanksgiving 2003 in New York because uh, it was a, a potential move for us uh, to go there. But I put up my hand for Hong Kong, and I can sort of list the reasons why we did that. Um, I put up my hand to. Um, to lead that team, uh, I think it was about 15, 20 people at the time, and um, you know to move to Hong Kong, a, a place that I had until February 2004 had never visited. Um, so it, it, it was it was a big that was the big turning point uh, for us. And and one of the reasons we went was just like with Singapore, there's very good infrastructure, but when you're raising young children. Uh, and at the time, my, my second one, who's now 15, but she was like literally one month old, uh, you know, we flew, flew with her, um, across, uh, across to Hong Kong. So that, that was a big turning point. Um, 
but but the, the important point I wanted to make there, Mark, was unless you put your hand up and tell people what your goals are, or what you want to do, it, it's sometimes very hard. Even if you think that your bosses, or, you know, or your managers ought to know what you're thinking and on how you're feeling, and ought to be, you know, looking how to reward you for your good work, um, you just sometimes have to put your hand up. Um, and given that I was, I think, cheaper than the next candidate that they had been looking at, um, that was a, a no-brainer for them. Um, so that that was that. Um, and then, look, uh, I think being made um, regional CTO in 2014 at Morgan Stanley, um, obviously, you know, felt very good about that. But it, it it really put me, I guess, on the the more the middle, you know, lower tier of middle management, I guess, at a global firm, um, in terms of you know the issues. The kind of judgments that you're now expected to to have uh, and and to to perform, and a lot of staff, you know, and resourcing related issues, and you know, I think that stood me in good stead doing that job for five years, covering the whole of Asia, uh, including Japan, in the last couple of years, um, to sort of be very much more focused on people, um, how to you know how to develop them. Uh, the succession planning, uh, both for my own seat as well as others. Um, you know, I think that that was a turning point for me in in understanding what management was all about, and you know what it, it took to, to to be a good manager. Um, and all the while dealing with some very interesting issues across the region, as you probably uh, probably know. And then lastly, 2019. Uh, you know, it had been in the works for a couple of years. Uh, uh, our chief legal officer Eric Grossman has been um, had raised that with me as a possibility, but you know until sometimes you know somebody actually says there is the role, um, you know it's just uh, it was just something percolating in in people's minds, including my own. Um, but like I said, the the opportunity when it came up, the role was is, is a fantastic role. It's, it's somewhat surprising in a bank this size that we've never had a market. A global markets head uh, in compliance, but now we have one, at least for the time being. Um, and uh, you know, I think again, as I said, I, I've really enjoyed that opportunity. But um, you know, I, I'd never asked for it, um, but it was, you know, certainly a fantastic opportunity when when it came. Has there been one particular challenge in your career that you had to overcome, and and if so, how did you do that? Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good question. Um, you know. When, when I look back on certainly the person I was and, and you know, uh, not in terms of character so much, but, you know, just uh, in terms of how I thought about things and how I dealt with things, um, I have to say, you know, and my record probably bears that out, I, I've very much until more recently been very task-oriented. Everything is about the, the assignment, right? Um, you want... To close a transaction in five months, that people were doubtful whether we could do it. If we do it, that's great, and you know um, everything else goes to the side, right? Including potentially family. Um, it was a very busy, you know, th- there's very busy periods when when you're climbing the corporate ladder. But I think you know what happens from that is if you focus much more on the task orientation and less about the people side of it. And I mean by that, you know the Ability to coordinate, to form relationships, the soft relationships that help you, you know, you pick up a phone and people respond and 
typically respond positively because they know you, they trust you, um, you know, and they actually like you. It's a very positive thing. And I think, um, you know, in my, uh, in my younger years as I was, you know, climbing up the corporate ladder, I really was much more task focused. I mean, it sort of stems from the fact that that's what you do as a lawyer, um, you know, or as a, as a budding manager. Um, and obviously people are giving work to you to do, but I think, my, my learning experience is that, uh, quite frankly, you should be nice to people, you know, all the time. Not that we're expecting anything to come from that. It's not a, you know, um, expectation that, you know, you'll get a favor out of that, but just it's the right thing to do, um, you know, uh, organizationally, but also at a, at a personal level. It's just much nicer to be, you know, uh, uh, familiar with, with the people that you work with as much as possible. Um, they don't have to be your friends, but they're certainly many of them are your colleagues. Um, and so being respectful of that um, is really important. And look, I think I, I learned that lesson um, in the sense that, you know, I think I, I might have missed out on, you know, uh, potential opportunities. And, you know, I think by the time I made it to Morgan Stanley, I, you know, I, in my own mind, I'd grown up a lot um, and I was ready to, to have a go at it. Um, with the new mindset of, you know, just trying to get to know people better first, worrying about the issues. Because by then I, I could argue that I, I was reasonably a subject matter expert, having spent, you know, uh, more than, you know, 10 years or so in, in um, uh, sorry, seven or eight years in, uh, in, in Hong Kong in the securities industry. And, you know, the issues from one firm to another um, are very similar. Um, they're not like, you know, one firm doesn't have one issue that's, that's not faced by the rest of the industry, just how they deal with it is, is important. But my point is that, you know, I came across managing a much smaller team um, uh, as, as at that time an executive director, so um, uh, not an MD, and uh, I knew I had to work at it. Um, and I knew that, you know, a lot of getting these further opportunities for promotion, for uh, new roles, et cetera, rely on not just the people that work for you or that you are your clients, but, you know, just people that you otherwise have, you know, just uh, passing, you know, acquaintances with because they come in on a project or, you know, you need you need to work with them on a new product approval or something like that. And so, you know, I think I learned from that. And uh, um, I don't know whether I've been extreme, extremely successful or not, but, you know, I, I feel better about myself and, you know, I, I feel very happy that, that's the right way to manage. Uh, and, you know, that's what I've been carrying through in, in New York. What characteristics do you look for when you're hiring new people and you've hired a lot of people over the years? What, what do you look for uh, in those people that you're hiring? Yeah, look, another good question. Um, it's really hard on the CV. Um, and whenever I talk to someone, I, I'm, you know, almost inevitably I'm thinking about what's the next role for that person. I like to think, to look at a person and, and listen to them and talk to them and get a gauge of whether or not, you know, three years on, like, would they be potentially fit for an, a, a different role or a bigger role? Uh, or when you're meeting with them, sometimes you go, wow, they blow you away, um, you know, and, and actually there was another role that maybe there's a bigger role that they might be suited for. I think what 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 is important is um, that people ask questions, they're inquisitive, um, you know, um, they're able to articulate both their strengths as well as their development points. 
I think people who say I have no development, there are people who say that in interviews. I don't know why people should be prepped to say something about themselves that isn't as great as, you know, they might think. Mm. Um, you know, I think the ability to demonstrate, uh, like you just asked me, you know, places or, or, or issues where there have been problems that they've had to deal with, which go back to the whole judgment point, you know, especially as you get, uh, you, you get to more senior hires, you want to judge how they deal with the, you know, the judgment piece, right? Mm. Um, and they're not, you know, the, the knowledge is just otherwise assumed. Um, so I think all of that, but when you get into the firm, I think it's all about hard work, integrity, um, you know, that's the, the baseline, right? And, uh, and, and again, um, you know, no sharp elbows. You've got to be respectful of all of your colleagues because it, it takes a village to, to get things done. Um, as I said, a lesson that I learned probably a little bit later than I ought to have, but uh, I'm willing to, to admit that. During your career, you've managed significant-sized teams. What do you see as the key attributes of an effective leader? I think it's important that we recognise, you know, that we're stewards. Uh, so where we are, you know, we need to be looking for the next crop of people and that next level down. I guess the higher up you go, the, the you know, potentially the further down you also look. And, um, you know, I think someone who's an effective leader, and I know this for a fact because, you know, one of the things that people have said, you know, they've been great. It's like um, has been the ability for me to, you know, assess what we have and to put the succession and development planning into place. And, and so I think an effective leader ought to be able to do that objectively, work out what their resources are, what they might need, and to recognize that, you know, they've got a job to do, but that's going to be passed on and they need to keep working at, at you know, who could hold their seat uh, or certainly be seated at the table, maybe a little bit further down to begin, but who would slowly move up. Um, I think that's, that's that. I mean, all the other stuff about communica- great communication skills, soft, uh, you know, I think oral communication uh, as opposed to written communication nowadays is much more important. Um, and I don't say that because of a COVID environment. I just think it, it always has been the delivery, the ability to convince people is often done through oral discussion and argument, not not through a, a written piece, mm. uh, especially when you have to get through a lot of stakeholders. So the ability to, to communicate well, to be, um, you know, to to be good with people and to acknowledge that it's, it's their role to pass the torch on at some stage, are, are, you know, I think key key things that I would I would like to see in a, a and I would think of in an effective leader. You just mentioned stakeholders. Then, what what do you see as the key attributes of of effective stakeholder management? Yeah, look, you know, that's that's the flip flip side of, of of some of that. I think what's really been important, I think, is to have a view. You know, hopefully, an informed view. But be prepared, as I said, to share and to discuss it, to debate it. Um, I think the worst thing you can do as an advisory lawyer or a compliance person is not to have a view, or if you have a view, not to be prepared to to say what your view is. Um, and time and again, you know, when I see people um, who have been successful or not, at least in my own experience, and it, it is just my experience, you know, I think people who are willing to engage in a discussion and say what their view is. I don't mean aggressively. I just mean, you know, when it's your turn to, you know, you've got the the, the conch shell to, to, to talk and then say it. Um, and I think 
the business people that we deal with and our clients when we speak externally all appreciate that because, um, you know, that, that's what's really important. Uh, the other thing I, I think I, I'd say is, uh, again, staying with the people aspect is, um, you know, you've got to stay engaged and enthusiastic in, in, in what you do and because that will show uh, with the people that you're dealing with. And then lastly, you know, take an interest uh, in the people that you're dealing with. You know, outside of work, everybody, uh, you know, has, has a life, especially nowadays, um, you know, when, when some of this gets blurred because of COVID. Um, but, you know, that, that also, you know, helps you get to meet more new people and, and to expand your network. So I think all of those, those things, you know, have a view, stay engaged, take an interest and, and expand your network. If you were going to restart your career now, what would be one key piece of advice you would give to a younger version of yourself? I would say always be open to new opportunities. Mm. You know, be prepared to take a risk. Um, especially when you're younger, you just have those opportunities. You can make a couple of mistakes career-wise. Uh, hopefully it won't be fatal. And, uh, you know, but, you know, worrying about that door opening, door closing, if the door opens, you know, I think, uh, and it sounds like the, the right opportunity, whether you discuss that with a mentor or not, or your spouse or partner or not, I think uh, that's, that's really important. Have an open mind. As we all know, COVID-19 has resulted in this mass work from home and, and people working remotely. What do you see as the challenges for banks and financial institutions around the monitoring, testing and, and supervision piece? That's a really good question. So, you know, Obviously, you can't eyeball people, right? Mm. On a trading floor, you, in normal times, you can. Um, and, you know, on a branch office in wealth, you can. Um, you can't now. Um, you can have Zoom calls all you like, and, you know, that can be part of your attestation. But at the end of the day, um, you know, the, the, not everybody's all in the same room. So I think, you know, regulators and ourselves, we, we have looked, and how our compliance plan uh, for oversight have had to change. So we've identified, um, you know, risks that are, are more prevalent or potentially more prevalent uh, in this environment. Um, obviously, the volatility and the, the surge in volumes has disappeared. So, you know, the, the issues around just dealing with alerts, for example, that come up and the, the number of alerts has, has you know, gone back to, to normal volumes, albeit slightly elevated from pre-COVID, but, you know, things like uh, we, you know, obviously have to focus on, on mon- enhanced monitoring, so e-com surveillance, you know, our testing program, we've moved to doing, uh, obviously, remote reviews uh, through questionnaires and interviews and the like, um, and then we're doing shorter tests, you know, um, the, the long-form test where it takes weeks and weeks to, to go through a particular desk or something, we've just, you know, been, been looking to tailor that. Um, from a supervisory perspective, you know, there's expectations on the front office to, to keep an eye on, on, you know, what people are doing. And, and I think that that is definitely happening. Um, but, you know, we, we also want to give support to supervisors through training and, and, and other things just to, to let them know that there are tools available, that it's important to keep an eye on people. And I don't mean that in a, in a bad way, but quite frankly, this has been very wearing on people. I think mid-March, most people went out. Many people are still working from home across the globe. You know, uh, the percentages vary from office to office. Um, 
but you know we're nowhere near you know eighty to one hundred percent, and so you've got to also keep people engaged and and supported. Um, and you know I think uh, so that's that's also very important, and that's less supervision than just general you know uh, maintenance and and management team management. As a global head, how, how do you keep a team engaged and supported with with everyone working remotely? Well, look, I think one of the good things is. If you've got a good relationship with your client, being remote from them doesn't mean being disengaged. It doesn't mean being left out. Quite apart from the fact that compliance people or legal people have to be involved in various activities, you know, uh, uh, and the like. But you know, I think what we've done is certainly up the level of um, communication, uh, primarily through Zoom, um, but we use Skype video and, and others. Um, but you know, not just meetings, because I think there's there's fatigue around having to be online all the time uh, in, in, on a screen. I think it's more just being interested in people. So having these one-on-one calls, uh, checking in on people. We did that early on too, particularly for people that we knew were not living in a family unit. And, and you know, obviously family different sides. But if you're on your own, for example, you know, or they had. Uh, to, to look up, you knew that they had to look after an elderly parent or, or whatever. You know, we pay special attention to those people, right? In terms of, is there anything we can do to support you and the like? And then, lastly, I think um, you know we've tried to make some of these meetings a bit more fun, right? Talk about uh, other things, you know, wear thematically themed clothes, you know, clothing, sports clothing, or whatever. You know, have a drink if it's late in the day, you know, a social drink, etc., cocktails or something like that. So just you know, mix it up a bit. Yeah, with um, work pressure, you know, you've you've held many different uh, senior roles. H- how have you managed to deal with the the work pressure and stress that comes with key leadership roles? Um, you know, it's interesting. It's, it's like Bruce Banner said. You know, about the Hulk. I'm I'm always angry. He keeps it just simmering. I, I'm I'm almost always switched on for work. Um, you know, which is not a good thing, by the way, and, and so it's more a case of do as I say rather than as I do. But the, for myself, my my ability to mo- to modulate is partly by just having, you know, the support of family, um, you know, and actually during COVID, being able to have meals with your your your, your family, you know, um, has been a very you know uh, one of my highlights uh, in a, at a time when probably there haven't been too many. But the family, the, the stability, I guess, is, is, is you know, whatever is your support network is, is important right now. But, you know, I've always done a lot of exercise, generally gym work, but now um, with the gym's clothes, I've switched to just, you know, uh, picking up running again and I bought myself uh, uh, for uh, my milestone birthday a, a new bike, uh, road bike, so I ride that around Central Park. Um, you know, I think it's... It's important uh, to to exercise, to keep talking to people, not become isolated. Um, particularly the younger crowd for for work, where they're not as in, you know as uh, in with the business people, for example, or their clients. It's a bit harder, right? And so it's incumbent on us as managers certainly to to bring those people into the fold. But I've got to say, um, I certainly encourage people if they have the opportunity, although they might they might not be going very far, but have a change of scenery. As we were talking just before the interview started, the ability to just get away and, and do something and see something different uh, from you know what your window view is uh, looking outside your home office is uh, 
is a very uh, therapeutic thing. Nick, you'll have to uh, sign up for the famous New York Marathon. Do the five burrows. <laughs> I think there's, uh, there's quite a lot of time requirements on that. I can barely run 10K, so uh, we'll get there maybe. <laughs> What's your passions outside of work? Well, look, you know, apart from the time to myself, which is the exercise time, um, we have two dogs uh, that we adopted from Colin. We were fortunate enough uh, to, to be able to bring over. Um, you know, so we spend a lot of time with the dogs, walking them around the park and stuff. Um, and as I said, just I'm actually wanting to enjoy the family time. It, but my older one came back to live with us. Uh, she was in a dorm, um, you know, and so it's not really a passion. It might not be very exciting to a lot of people, but, you know, particularly kids grow up very quickly. Um, but um, the other way I, I, you know, sort of expend my time wastefully is just playing computer games on my Xbox. Um, I've been a big fan since the Nintendo uh, 64 came out many years ago. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember cradling my, my older one now who was just born whilst playing computer games, which is why she's <laughs> probably addicted to computer games as well now, um, you know, with the music in the background and the like. But, you know, I think, um, yeah, I, I quite enjoy that. I, I quite enjoy, you know, looking at the new games that are on and, and, and uh, spending a bit of time trying to beat, beat the system, beat the game. Nick, thanks so much for providing a, a fantastic insight into your career journey, uh, talking about leadership and mentoring and also sharing your views around, you know, the, the, the impacts of COVID-19 and uh, from a monitoring testing point of view and also how you engage your team um, in a global role uh, with people working remotely. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Mark. And, you know, uh, to all the people that are listening, you know, I, I wish you all the best, uh, not just in the career, but obviously getting through this very difficult time. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for listening to the show. We encourage you to subscribe and feel free to share, rate us and leave a review. If there's anything you'd specifically like us to cover, email us at markenticott at bowenpartners.com. Thank you.